History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. you spectacular people welcome to this 326th episode of the history ghost bump podcast ghost tours for the theater of the mind i am your host diane and this is kelly hey kelly how are you doing i'm doing pretty good we are recording <laughs> in a whole different way we are i've been having a lot of issues with my recording software and one of the listeners was really generous to us and send us an h for Zoom. And I've heard a lot of people say that they record into that. And that's what we're doing while we sit in our master bedroom closet. We're back in the closet. We're back in the closet. <laughs> so we'll have to see how it goes. And speaking of being back in the closet, you and I have been really enjoying AJ and the Queen on Netflix. We have. It's been so fantastic. And I can't remember if it was episode five or six, something like that. And they get into an accident with a woman named Diane <laughs> and RuPaul yells out something to her that is now going to be a soundbite that you will hear periodically on this podcast. Diane, you have to stop talking. I've been saying the same thing for months. Ru, you better work it, girl. Sashay, Shante. Stop it. On this episode, we are going to be going to a country that we have never touched on before. We're going to talk about the legends of India. Looking forward to bringing that to you guys. But before we do that, we have some people to welcome into the spectacular crew. Alessandra, Megan, Becky, Ronald, and Allison with one L. Welcome, guys. And now, this moment, Naughty. The moment in oddity was suggested by John Michaels. Blood transfusions have saved countless lives. It was surprising to us to find out that this risky procedure started back in the 1600s, given the fact that blood couldn't be typed back then. The first successful one was in 1665. Unbelievably, transfusions of animal blood to humans was begun shortly thereafter. After 10 years, these were deemed illegal because of the bad reactions people would have. There would also be the use of milk before it was figured out that saline would be safer to help the transfusions. But let's get back to the animal-to-human transfusion thing. There were people who actually believed that such a thing would give humans animal powers. Remember Samuel Pepys' diary that we talked about in the last episode? Well, he wrote in it, May, if it takes, be of mighty use man's health, for the mending of bad blood by borrowing from a better body. Sheep and calves were used a couple of times, and two people managed to survive the transfusions before a third died and made the practice illegal. Despite this, another experiment was carried out on a mentally ill man named Arthur Koga. A lamb was used, and the process was called xenotransfusion, and it took place before the prestigious Royal Society on November 23, 1667. Koga lived and actually had a second xenotransfusion. After this, he started claiming he was half-sheep and signed his letters, Koga the Sheep. 
He complained about the loss of his own wool. When he was offered a third transfusion, he refused, saying he had already been transformed into another species, and that certainly is odd. This is Victoria from victoriaslift.com. When I'm not taking those who must choose their destiny for a ride on the lift, I'm listening to History Goes Bump podcast. History isn't boring. It's terrifying. The past remains with us, and so do its spirits. Can you hear them calling? They want you to know their stories. Listen now to their voices and the truth from the past. And now, this month in history. In the month of February, on the 2nd, 1964, Hasbro introduces the G.I. Joe action figure. Many of the listeners to HGB probably consider themselves nerds. Both of your hosts are nerds. Lots of nerds dig action figures, and G.I. Joe would be the first. There'd be a whole line of them that represented the four branches of the military. Action soldier for Army, action sailor for Navy, action pilot for Air Force, and action marine for the Marine Corps. An action nurse would come later. These figures were 12 inches tall originally and were designed by Stan Weston. He sold the design to Hasbro for $100,000, and the rest is history. The figures would continue to be made for decades and downsized to 3.75 inches. The smaller models would have the same multiple areas of articulation as their bigger counterparts, and this made them both superior to figures like Barbie or Kenner's Star Wars figures. And today, many of those earlier models are worth quite a bit of money. The country of India is a place with beautiful structures and gorgeous mountain settings, but also caste systems and abject poverty. India is an ancient city that has been ruled and controlled by many other countries and still finds some of its areas in political upheaval and struggles with its neighbors, Pakistan and China, continue today. This is a place of mystique and enlightened religious beliefs, and many people living here harbor superstitions and beliefs about possession and spirits. The Himalayas are as rife with magical beliefs as our Appalachian Mountains in America. In this episode, we will touch on a brief history of India and then delve into her many ghost stories and legends. Kelly, covering the history of India is best done by measuring the country along a timeline. And obviously, we are going to be doing this in a very brief way, <laughs> because otherwise we'd be here for days and days and days. Indeed. There's so much to unwrap politically and culturally. Most of what we know about India comes from movies or technology. A lot of people, I think, are very familiar with Bollywood and have seen a lot of the movies that have been made by Bollywood. I love a lot of them. Me too. And we've all experienced spending hours on the phone with some tech in India. Oh, good grief. Yes, we have. <laughs> the country's become quite known in the fields of technology and medicine. But in many other ways, the country is very backwards in its thinking about certain classes of people. 
did you ever see the movie City of Joy with I Patrick did. Swayze? Yes. Yeah, it's not one of his better known movies. And I know that it on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever, it kind of gets a mediocre rating. But I really, really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was one of the best movies he ever made, that he did a really good job in the acting with it. And it really illuminates this different caste system that they have over there and how different people were treated and the kind of struggles that they're going through. Absolutely. So if you haven't seen it, I do highly recommend it. And we're just going to apologize now. Obviously, we are going to mispronounce stuff all over the place, but we're going to try our best. The first known man-made structures in India are the rock shelters of Bimbekta that date to 9000 BC and are found on the southern edge of the central Indian plateau. And the neat thing about these are they're decorated with paintings. The Mergar culture showed up in 7000 BC and lasted until 3300 BC. Archaeologists have found signs of farming and herding in the ruins. The Indus Valley civilization would follow, and they would make use of writing using Harappan script. This group would grow and expand to 2,500 cities, some of which were very large. They made use of drainage and sewage systems. The Vedic Age started in 1700 BC and went through 500 BC. This was a time of the Vedic Sanskrit texts, and Hinduism would come out of this. Families would become patriarchal, which makes us think that they were matriarchal up to this point. The caste system would take hold at this time. At the beginning, Hinduism split people into four groups. The Brahmins, the Kshatriyas, the Vaishyas, and the Shudras. This developed into the system that would still exist today, even though India has made rules to make it illegal to discriminate according to caste rank. This more modern system is a social structure that divides different groups into higher castes and lower castes and is judged based on family, color, wealth, and other such things. Karma is to blame for where somebody ends up. There are 3,000 castes with subcastes also. The Dalits are considered untouchable. These would be people suffering from leprosy and other such diseases. Imagine deeming humans as untouchable. And that's one of the things that I definitely got out of that movie, The City of Joy, is he dealt with a lot of people who had leprosy. Right. Because we really don't think about leprosy anymore because it's not a problem here in America. But over there, they still have it. And those people are deemed untouchable, just as they were back in biblical times. It's so sad. And then you have people who just don't make as much money there. So it's just a very interesting movie to kind of shine the light on that. I'm sure there's lots and lots of other movies that do that as well. And while India has made strides forward to not have that going on, it's a part of the culture and always has been for a very, very long time. So yeah, it's hard it still to occurs. break free. Yes. It's kind of like I kind of look at it like how we were back in the time when we were segregating. Right. They're just still there. <laughs> Starting in 500 BC, Buddhism and Jainism would rise. This time period is considered ancient India, and this is when King Darius would grow an empire, and then his son would later be defeated by Alexander the Great. And I remember reading about all that stuff when you read the Old Testament in the Bible when I would be studying yep. that and such. The Macedonian Empire started then and would be followed by many different empires. In order for us to have even listed that, it would have taken a really long time. <laughs> Definitely. A timeline makes it appear that kingdom switched out what to me looked like as often as every 70 years. And I think a generation is considered 40 years. So you're talking about every two generations, they were switching out a kingdom there. I mean, there was lots of them. I counted at least 10 through one period. Good grief. The medieval period ran from 550 AD to 1526 AD. Marco Polo would visit India during this time. The post-medieval era lasted until 1818 AD, 
and the Taj Mahal would be built during this time in 1658. During the 1700s, there would be many wars. The British would take over control of India in 1818, and this began the colonial era that lasted until 1947. India would become a free country then, and it has struggled ever since to find its way. Jane Dyson, writing for the BBC in 2013, spent some time in a Himalayan village and she wrote of the beliefs of the people there when it came to spirit possession and they clearly think it is a common occurrence. Dyson wrote, Spirit possession is a big issue in Bemni. There are times when villagers expect to be possessed at weddings or specially organized pujas, religious ceremonies. Then the spirit of an ancestor may enter the body of a person usually in moments of extreme emotion, say when a daughter is being prepared to be given away in a marriage ceremony. The possessed person might cry, shake uncontrollably, fling their arms around, and beat their chest. That sounds like me when I have a cold. (laughs) You're not quite that dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) This is part of village culture, and it never arouses anxiety. The possessed person quickly recovers to carry on with the rest of the ritual. Possession is also blamed if a child is playing up or a teenager is unusually moody. The parent might call on an elder or a Hindu priest to remove the bad spirit from the body. This possession can be quite low level and continue for some time. Some young people seem to use possession as an excuse. I used to be a hard worker at school, but then I was possessed. I'm going to start using that as my (laughs) excuse. Right? I'm just possessed. Sorry. Just can't do (laughs) it today. Never mind me. I can't adult today. I'm possessed. (laughs) (laughs) We need to put that on a shirt. Great. I'm not adulting. I'm possessed. But what worries villagers more is to be possessed by an evil spirit, by the ghosts that dwell in the forest. These spirits can make them ill or even kill them. The Indians who live in villages often build multiple temples to keep away evil spirits. Many of them believe that the woods are full of evil spirits. They probably think Americans and Europeans touring there and going on hikes are crazy. The Indian people have a particular term they use for ghost, and that is boot or buta, and that's spelled B-H-O-O-T or B-H-U-T-A. As is the case in all countries, the region defines how a boot is interpreted. Generally, a spirit is said to be hanging around because something is keeping it from transmigrating or moving on to the next place, whether that be heaven, hell, nirvana, or non-being. Or I would think in the case of reincarnation, the next body, something like that. Sure. And just as a violent death or unfinished business might lead to a haunting here in America, it's the same in India. That's what's one of the interesting things about ghosts, Kelly. They really are uniters in the fact that we all internationally share the same beliefs about them. It certainly seems that way. Yeah, I mean, everybody has some kind of belief about what the spirit does and reasons why it would still be hanging around. And I just love that. We might have differences in other things, but when it comes to that, we can all find common ground. So now instead of wars, we'll just have ghosts and that we'll have peace everywhere. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to give a speech in front of the United (laughs) Nations. More ghosts, less war. (laughs) Great. Hindu, Muslim, and Buddhist communities all share cultural beliefs about supernatural entities. Sikhs also have similar beliefs about ghosts, but they make up a very small portion of the Indian population. When I was looking, it's about 1%, which I was kind of shocked. I thought it'd be more than that. I did too. There's also a female version of the boot that is called a shudel. This is the spirit of a woman who died during pregnancy or childbirth. They like to lure young men at crossroads and lead them away to their death. 
Boots generally appear in human form, but can sometimes alter their forms into those of animals. The key thing for identifying a boot is by looking at its feet. A boot will have feet that are backwards. Oh, my. (laughs) That's that's a little bit disconcerting. Yeah, I mean, if I see somebody with backwards feet, I'm already going to be tiptoeing away. Yeah, I think that would bother me more than just the fact that it was a spirit. No kidding. (laughs) And what's interesting is they have this identifier that's feet. For us, sometimes that's how we identify a spirit, too, because they won't have any feet, like in the Haunted Mansion. True. Most of the ghosts in the Haunted Mansion don't have feet because they've been cut down to size to fit in their coffins. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) They will also rarely have those backward feet on the ground as they are loath to touch the earth because it is considered sacred. One description we find hilarious is that they talk with a nasal twang. I just felt like you had to say something right there. (laughs) Well, I mean... (laughs) When I heard it described as a nasal twang, I'm going, well, twang is usually something we use in reference to a, a southerner. They have that kind of southern twang. Right. So I'm thinking of a nasally twang. And, and <laughs> I, I can't even talk through my nose, but it does drive me crazy when people do. Well, and isn't there something in southern music? And I'm there's something like they hold the side of their nose and they're doing this doing, doing, doing thing when they're making oh. the music. I'm trying to remember. Like a nose what harmonica or something? I, maybe, they have I, a mouth harmonica that's like a, one of those things. Uh, oh, that thing. No, I was thinking of something else. Okay. It was like <laughs> and another key identifier is that they cast no shadow, which makes sense since they are a spirit. Many boots are described as wearing white as well. Things that protect against boots are very similar to other places. Water, steel, and iron are all used to keep spirits at bay. Burnt turmeric is also supposed to repel boots. I don't even think it takes it being burnt. (laughs) I like the taste of turmeric, but it stinks. It's good for you. I take it all the time for my joints and my muscles and stuff. It is good. (laughs) Turmeric paste is a very good natural pain soother for your joints, but it stinks. Let me know if I ever start smelling like it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to repel you. I'll just... (laughs) repel the spirit okay spirits can be cast out of places but they cannot be destroyed especially in hindu beliefs hindu exorcists perform rituals that will help a boot to move on to its next life or the next realm so it will stop haunting the person or family being tormented say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill start off talking about a couple of haunted locations in West Bengal. The Hindu Bengal culture celebrates Bhut Chaturdashi during the waning phase of the moon, which normally occurs on the 14th day of Krishna Paksha. The Bengalis light 14 earthen lamps on that night to appease the spirits of their past 14 generations of ancestors. It's a lot of generations. It is. And if you think you aren't real hip to having a bunch of family descend on your home during the holidays, that would be me. Oh, good grief. (laughs) Imagine 14 generations crashing in on your house, Kelly. Yeah, um, I don't know that I'm available for that. I love family, but that's a lot. And it's all your fault because you lit those lamps to guide the way. True. So maybe decide that blackout is the way to go on that evening. (laughs) 
During this time, there's also a fearsome aspect of the Hindu goddess Kali that can present itself known as Chamunda. Chamunda is the goddess of war and disease and is said to haunt cremation grounds or fig trees. She usually shows up during this festival with 14 other spirits. Bengalis will light these 14 lamps at different entrances to their homes and in dark corners of rooms to help with keeping the evil spirits at bay. And also they might eat a dish of 14 types of leafy vegetable so they won't be possessed. Clearly, the number 14 is significant to them. I would say so. Didn't have time to look into that further, but there's got to be something going on here that you have 14 lamps, 14 generations of ancestors, and then you got these 14 leafy vegetables. I'm sure. The Bengal culture has about 25 different forms of spirits they recognize. A petney is a female ghost who died unmarried or has some unsatisfied desires. Mamdo Boot is the ghost of a Muslim and is said to kill people by twisting their necks. A Penchapechi is a vampire-like spirit that takes on the form of an owl and haunts the forests of Bengal. You probably would like that. You like owls and then you got a vampire. There you go. A sparkly owl vampire. No, 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 no. <laughs> Demori are a group of supernatural beings that are not human spirits and come from unseen realms. And they can be controlled by people who practice tantric ways and black magic. They are similar to fairies. A Basho boot is a ghost that lives in a bamboo garden. There is a spirit that can hypnotize a person and take him to an unknown location called a kanabula, and so people are warned not to walk around alone, especially at night. A mecho boot is a ghost that likes to eat fish and will demand that fishermen give them their fish, in a nasally voice, of course. And if they don't, they will harm the fishermen. A don kudra is a house spirit that helps the owner of the house make money and brings them good luck. I want a couple of those. Yeah, no kidding. A gecho boot is a ghost that lives in trees. The atashi boot is what Bengalis call a ghost light or a will-o'-the-wisp. A bagho boot is a spirit of a person who was killed by a tiger. They get very specific in India. Clearly, I mean, everything's <laughs> got its own ghost, it seems like. And a headless ghost is called a skandhokata. That would probably be your favorite, like the headless horseman. Oh, yeah, a headless ghost, <laughs> sure. <laughs> as long as it's not coming at me. They have witches in the Bengali culture, and they are called Daini. They are similar to our witches in folklore as they are said to kidnap children, kill them, and suck their blood. The old hag that goes with our sleep paralysis happens here too and is known as boba. It amazes me how many there's this crossover of things. Definitely. Women who commit suicide by drowning or were murdered with water become shikolburi and are spirits that dwell in water. Obviously, they like to come up and try to grab people and pull them under the Nishi are night spirits who call people out to secluded areas by hypnotizing them, and those people are never seen again. Benevolent spirits are known as Brahmo Deityo, but in sharp contrast to them are the Rakosh, which are demonic creatures that appear with sharp claws, pointy fangs, and superhuman strength. Another demonic creature is the Pashak, and these are said to be flesh-eating and haunt graveyards. The female version is called Apishachini, and she has a terrible appearance and drains men of their virility and blood. Little spirits that are dwarf-like are Kokosh, and giant spirits are Deityo. The Batal is almost like a zombie in that it inhabits a cadaver and uses it for getting around. The Joko is a warrior-type entity that is benevolent and usually protects the wealth of whoever worships it. And finally, the Bengali also believe in the jinn of the Muslims. So now we're going to talk about several haunted locations in India. Obviously, they have quite a few, but we're going to touch on some of the highlights of those. 
So the first is the Morgan House. Kalimpong is a town in the Indian state of West Bengal, which is on the far western side of India. This area is called Chandralok, which means the land of the moon. This town had once been the gateway for trade between Tibet and India before China annexed Tibet. Fur, wool, and grains would pass between the two on passes that were offshoots of the ancient Silk Road. Indigenous tribes had lived here for centuries before the area would be ruled by the Sikkimese Kingdom, followed by the Bhutanese Kingdom. In 1865, a treaty ceded the territory to the British East India Company. The town started as a small hamlet, but flourished and grew under British control and soon became known for its schools. India gained its independence in 1947 and Kalimpong became part of West Bengal. Buddhist monks fleeing Tibet established monasteries in the town, and many important Buddhist scriptures are housed here in the Fodang Monastery and Zangdokpalri Monastery. It would be nice to finish off this brief history with a statement like the town continues to prosper in peace, but it is anything but peaceful here. For several decades, factions have fought to establish separate states along ethnic lines. And despite the government forming a special council for governing in the area, the fights continue and the city has been under siege more than once. It was here in Kalimpong that a jute baron named George Morgan would build his big, beautiful home during British colonial rule. The home is named Morgan House for him and is described as a scenic hill station. Certain locations in Asia and Africa were given the name Hill Station by the British to refer to a town that was higher in elevation that was used as a refuge from summer heat. So when you're looking at anything that has to do with India, especially in the Himalayas, almost everything up there is called a hill station. Oh, okay. And I had no idea why they were called that till I looked it up. I'm like, why are these all called hill stations? It was just to differentiate the fact that these were basically their summer homes, I guess is what you could call them. There are literally hundreds of hill stations in India. And I had to look up what a jute baron was. This was a man who made his money in the jute industry. And jute is a long, shiny vegetable fiber that can be spun into coarse, strong threads. I used to make jute necklaces. Oh, so you knew exactly <laughs> what it was. Yes. So you would have been doing the research here and going, oh, of course, I know exactly what that is. And I'm going, what is jute? I'm sure you've seen it. Oh, yeah. Because basically what it is, it's used to make burlap, gunny cloth. Yeah, it has a similar look to like the hemp thread. That yes, type of thing. exactly. That's They describe it a lot as being this natural fiber that is similar to hemp. And it's second only to cotton in how it's used and how much can be produced. So Morgan had plenty of money to build his home. He also married a woman who was an indigo plantation owner, so she had to have had some wealth of her own. They built Morgan House on 16 acres atop the mountain of Duprandara, overlooking the majestic Kanjanjunga mountain range. And the area is absolutely gorgeous. Morgan House was built in the 1930s in the colonial Victorian style. The house was built from brick and wood and features lots of large, multi-paned rectangular windows. And when I say lots, I mean there are practically more windows than brick. The front porch is flanked by pillars, and there are several large stone chimneys. I counted at least five. The house is two stories and has seven rooms. The landscaping is lush with gardens all around, and much of the house is covered in ivy. This is reflective of the fact that Kalimpong is described as a city of flowers. The fireplaces were made from brick. I'm not sure how much it has changed through the years, but the interior is not real fancy. Reviews described rooms as large with antique wooden furniture. This is really popular with a lot of Bollywood actors and other people. But when I looked at it, it just looked kind of run down to me. I thought the roof looked like it was about to come off. and Oh, goodness. The inside was 
our problem is I've done so many hotels here in America that are these older hotels dating back to that kind of time period that are made with marble and all this other you and know, a granite. lot of times refurbished yeah too, so. so i'm used to these big grand structures and you look in there and you're like oh okay it's just kind of creaky wooden stairs and not anything fancy the morgans lived here for many years before mrs morgan died a premature death and this death would be a mystery some claim that she had been taken with a serious illness while others blamed something nefarious for her death there were people who claimed that George had abused and tortured his wife and that she finally died because of that. I'd read both that George Morgan had abandoned the house shortly after his wife died. And I also read in a 2004 newspaper article that both Morgans had died without an heir. So the house was taken over by a trustee board and then eventually the government took ownership of the house. And that is indeed what ended up happening. But the way that that article's worded, it sounded like they yeah, both the had been in the lines. house until they died and then it just right. went out. Right, the timeline's kind of hard to follow. Yeah, and that, you know, he just abandon the house. I'm not sure exactly what all happened here. And I don't even know what happened between them if she died a natural death or if he did something to her. But you know, the legends like to make it a little bit juicier. Certainly. It was then turned into a boutique hotel that is still open today. And as I said, it's a favorite of Bollywood actors like Sunil and Dargis Dutt, Kishore Kumar, Lena Shandavarkar, Om Prakash, and Bengali actor Uptal Dutt, who has starred in comedy films like Gamal and Hamari Bahu Alka, which, no, I have not seen either of those. Neither have I. Many have left behind testimonials that are framed on the walls. The house is now being run by the West Bengal Tourism Development Corporation. And there are people who have stayed here that have claimed to have had unexplained experiences. It is believed that the spirit of Mrs. Morgan is here. Supposedly, there have been no sightings of Mrs. Morgan's apparition specifically, but people have heard tapping of high heel footwear in the corridors of the lodge. People have claimed to hear a creepy female voice, too. Some tourists, after spending a night in the house, have said that they have seen the shadowy figure of a lady in the mirror of the bathroom. Others have claimed to hear the voice of a female whispering. So there's somebody in the bathroom again. I'm telling <laughs> you, I just, who wants to hang out in the bathroom for the rest of your afterlife? Now we're going to go over to Victoria Boys High School and Dow Hill Girls Boarding School. Darjeeling is another town in West Bengal that followed much of the same path as Kalimpong in the dynasties and countries that ruled it. And there have been power struggles in the region as well. The British East India Company decided this area was perfect for a sanatorium for British soldiers. The Victoria Boys High School and Dow Hill Girls Boarding School is found here in Kirshong, Darjeeling. The school was started in 1879 by Sir Ashley Eden, who was a diplomat in British India and also the lieutenant governor of Bengal. Initially, the school was named Dowhill School. The school was a necessity for the children of railway workers and government servants. Rather than building a new structure, a house was bought and converted. This house had been known as Constantia. The first group of children numbered 16. Eventually, the school needed to expand and it moved into the former railway offices. The boys' school would break away and move to another building not far away. The schools do very well academically and are still open. The schools have seen much history and just happen to be part of the Dowhill Station. The stories connected to Dowhill are creepy. First, let's start with the Victoria Boys' School. It is closed during the winter vacation from December to March, and people claim that although the school is closed, the sound of footsteps and disembodied voices are heard. We're not sure if these occurrences are related to things that happened in the school or to the haunted forest that surrounds the school. Between Dowhill Road and the forest office, there's a road that's been called Death Road. People traveling this road claim to feel as though they are being followed and watched. 
Some are even luckier to spot the apparition that is seen here often, a headless young boy. He's seen walking and then disappearing into the forest. There's also a gray lady seen in the forest. Legends claim that many murdered bodies have been found in these woods. Could that be why these woods are considered so haunted? And as we heard earlier, they have a ton of superstitions when it comes to the woods and what's lurking in the woods. So pretty much if it's a forest, they think it's haunted. It kind of sounds that way. Next, we're going to Lambie Dahar Mines. The mystery and creepiness of the Lambie Dahar Mines has made this location a favorite setting for horror movies and spooky TV programs. This had once been a fully operational lime mine that employed thousands of workers in Missouri, which is a colonial hill station known as the Queen of the Hills. This is in the state of Uttarakhand, that is north of West Bengal, and it is adjacent to Tibet and Nepal. There are 44 hill stations here, and everything is so beautiful. The mine had employed thousands of workers in conditions that left hundreds of them dead. The mine soon earned the nickname Mines of Death. Most of these workers were killed by something called the choking blood death. I imagine it was something similar to black lung in that it affects the lungs. There is no record of when the mines opened, but they remained open until the 1990s. But after the deaths of 50,000 workers, they were finally deemed unsafe and abandoned. You think? Yeah, no kidding. Now they are said to be one of the most haunted sites in India. Most of the spirits are said to belong to miners who died in the tunnels from accidents. Their disembodied screams are heard, as are strange voices. There have been many fatal car accidents near the mines that are blamed on the spirits, and a helicopter even crashed here once. A bit of legend claims that a witch has taken over the mines, and there are people who claim to see her roaming about. Next, we're going to check out the Savoy Hotel, and this is found in Missouri as well. The Savoy Hotel has a great story to go with it. It's just down the road from Camel's Back Cemetery, and there's all these Edwardian-styled cottages along the way. The first thing that had been built on this spot was Reverend Maddox Missouri School, and this was back in 1895. And this guy named Cecil D. Lincoln was an Irishman. He was a lawyer. He comes along, and he decides that he wants to build a hotel here. So he raises the school and spends about five years building the Savoy Hotel. He gets the hotel done before a really proper road is put in. So they had to take all these Edwardian furnishings, these grand pianos, billiard tables, all this great stuff that they're going to have in the hotel, and they had to carry it uphill by bullock cart. So it's just amazing what they were able to do with this. When you go inside, the dining hall had these oak pieces that were put together to make the floor, and it was known and renowned all around the world for its size. It opened in 1902 and rivaled any of the other fine hotels that you could find in India at the time. Everybody would come to stay here. The Princess of Wales, Queen Mary. After World War I, the hotel became even more popular, and that was because the road made it convenient for cars to come and go. But the story that I really want to share with you about this hotel is something that happened back in 1911. There were two women staying here, Miss Frances Garnet Orme, she was 49 years old, and Eva Mount Stephen. Both of them were spiritualists, and Miss Mount Stephen specialized in seances and crystal gazing. Now, I'm not really sure what these two women were trying to do at the hotel, but I'm wondering if Garnet Orme was trying to contact her former fiancé. She'd been betrothed to a British officer from the United Provinces, and he had died before the wedding. So perhaps she wanted to contact him on the other side. 
One day, Ms. Mount Stephen told everyone that she had urgent business and that she had to leave right away. So she leaves. And then a little bit later, Ms. Garnet Orm was found in a room and she was well past rigor mortis. Even more mysterious of finding this perfectly healthy 49-year-old woman dead for quite a while in her room was the fact that the room was locked. No one could figure out what had happened here, so an autopsy was performed. The autopsy revealed that prussic acid, this is a cyanide-based poison, was the culprit. The woman had been poisoned. Even stranger, her doctor dies a few months later from strychnine poisoning. Of course, all fingers point to Miss Mount Stephen. She had to be the one to do this. She had been staying with Miss Garnet Orm. And she was arrested for tampering with her friend's bottle of sodium bicarbonate. She'd added this prussic acid to it, apparently. The court, though, I guess was not able to find enough evidence, and she was found not guilty. So the case was never solved. Rudyard Kipling had heard about this, and he gets in contact with his good friend, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and he tells him about the story and says, somebody needs to write about this. Well, I guess uh, Conan Doyle wasn't that interested in the story. But he was interested enough to mention it to his friend, Agatha Christie. And this would become her first detective story, The Mysterious Affair at Styles. And this is when Hercule Poirot would be born. The ghost of Lady Garnet Orme is said to roam inside the hotel searching for her murderer. And if you ask the locals about this hotel, they uh, don't seem to be real excited about it. Not wanting to talk about it yeah, too much? I don't think they want to <laughs> stay there or anything like that. Nowadays, the hotel has been reconstructed by ITC Limited and has reopened under them. And apparently under them, there's been no ghost sightings. So I think they've kind of mummed the word about huh. Interesting. what's going on at the Savoy Hotel. Yeah, oftentimes they don't want to talk about it too much. So yeah. that's not surprising. Our next stop is South Park Street Cemetery. Kolkata is known as a city of joy and is the capital of the state of West Bengal. The city is known for its grand colonial architecture, and Mother Teresa's charity and tomb are here. This was formerly Calcutta, but changed to its Bengali spelling and pronunciation. The city has a few haunts. The first we'll venture into is the South Park Street Cemetery, which is a Christian burial ground. The cemetery was founded in 1767 and is the oldest burial ground in Kolkata. And oh my, is this necropolis wonderful. The front gate is bordered by a Gothic-style building that is painted pink. Well-maintained concrete pathways guide people along. The crypts and mausoleums are plentiful, mossed and fern-covered, and eclectic. This cemetery is a jumble of styles from classical antiquity to Indo-Gothic and European Gothic. The cemetery covers eight acres and is surrounded by a high brick wall. The tallest structure in the cemetery is an obelisk that marks the burial of Sir William Jones, who was the founder of the Asiatic Society. Similar to the Colonial Park Cemetery in Savannah, this cemetery has several headstones mounted in the eastern wall that used to be at the North Park Street Cemetery that was closed and bodies were moved. The South Park Cemetery continued burials until the 1840s. Many tourists come here and some have claimed to see and even capture on film shadow figures. That is, if their cameras work. There are people who've had issues with cameras malfunctioning. Superstitious people who live near the cemetery keep their windows shut at all times. Perhaps that's because people complain of feeling dizzy in the graveyard and some fall ill after leaving. Is there some kind of curse that follows them home? I thought it was interesting that people keep their windows closed as if illness was coming out of the cemetery. Right. 
And now we're off to YPRO Technologies. And speaking of cemeteries, the YPRO Technologies building in Kolkata is said to be haunted because it was built over a former cemetery. This shouldn't do that. I know. People don't learn. People outside the building see figures moving about inside the building at night when no one is supposed to be in the building. The most haunted floor is the third floor of Tower 3. People working at night, mostly security guards, claim to see apparitions in the hallways and stepping out of the lifts. I sometimes wonder if the people they see wandering around in the building are the security guards. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Next, we have Rabindra Sarovar Metro Station. Nearly 80% of the suicides in Kolkata take place at this metro station. So, yeah, I'm not about to say those first two names again. (laughs) At least over there smiling at me. We're trying hard, guys. We're trying hard. (laughs) That's right. I opted not to keep that part of the script in there. It has garnered the nickname Paradise, of all things, of suicide. Can you imagine calling someplace Paradise of Suicide? No, not at all. Now, I don't know if it has a higher rate of suicide here because it's one of the busiest metro stations or... Well, that would make sense. If it's just, you know, kind of when people, a lot of people commit suicide in one place, like say the Brooklyn Bridge and things like that, if it just takes on that. Yeah, it draws more people mm-hmm, in. Because, mm-hmm. well, everybody does it there. So if I'm going to do it, I'll do it there because that's going to get great coverage or something. Right. And I imagine most of them probably do it throwing themselves in front of trains, which is Ugh. a great thing for the train operators, I'm sure. How horrible. People claim the last train is haunted. Eerie shadows are seen and attendants say they see apparitions that seem to be walking around aimlessly. Sometimes when the last train pulls out, riders will still see several people crowding the platform. But they aren't there because they've been running to catch the train. So apparently they're the spirits of the people who've committed suicide watching the last train go away. These people already had their last ride they'll ever take. The Sanjeevan is in India's capital of Delhi. As we pointed out, forests are places that Indians are a bit superstitious about, and the Sanjeevan is a forest. People enjoy the beautiful greenery during the day, but when night falls, no one wants to be in the forest because this one is said to definitely be haunted. There are graves here. Some of them are majars to Sufi saints, which are essentially mausoleums, and there are also ruins of the Quila Rai Pithora Fort. People in the Sanjeevan at night hear cries and laughter. They also see a woman in white, a lady wearing a white sari, who disappears into the forest. So even though their lady in white or woman in white looks a little bit different than ours because of the way she's dressed, they still have them. It seems so. Golconda is next. This is a fort and was an early capital city. The fortress was built on a granite hill in the early 1500s for the Kwat Shahi dynasty. It fell into ruin in 1687 after a siege. The area then became known for the diamonds found here, the Golconda diamonds. Visitors to the ruins claim to have seen the spirits of soldiers who died in the battles. There's also the spirit of a dancer here that was named Taramati. She was the most famous courtesan of the Kat Shahi dynasty. The sound of her gungru can be heard sometimes. And for those who don't know, a gungru is the anklet with the little bells that Indian dancers wear. And now on to the Bombay High Court. The Bombay High Court is a beautiful structure done in the Gothic style that was built in 1862. I will try to make sure I get a picture of this up on Instagram because it is gorgeous and it's too hard for us to try to describe what it looks like. Definitely, It is one of the oldest high courts in India, and that has led to a lot of history of firsts from the first attorney general to the first chief justice 
and first Solicitor General after India gained its independence. The court is haunted by a spirit that people claim is either that of a lawyer or a murder convict. It's either a lawyer. It's one one or the other. Or a murderer. Okay. (laughs) That just seems like quite a difference there. I know. The targets of this vengeful spirit are usually those accused of murder, and the spirit curses them in a hoarse voice and blocks the doors to the courtroom. The stories of this apparition have been told for over 30 years. So it's been around quite a while. That's probably why they can't figure out, is it a lawyer? Is it a murderer? Maybe it's both. (laughs) (laughs) A murdering lawyer. I was just going to say that. Finally, we have Three Kings Church in Goa. The Three Kings Church in Goa is believed to be one of the most haunted places in India, and I love the fact that it's a church. We are finding so many haunted churches around the world. It's officially known as Our Lady of Remedios Chapel. Church is found in the village of Kansalam, which is just south of Goa on the southwestern coast of India. It was built in 1599 and has what looks to me like Spanish influence in the architecture. I don't know for sure that it does. But it reminds me of a mission, and it's painted white as well. People walking around the church say they get eerie feelings. Spirits here are said to belong to three kings, hence the name. The only one with a known name is King Holger Allunger. He desired to rule alone, and two other kings challenged him. King Holger decided to poison the other two kings. When the people who supported those other kings heard what he had done, they became enraged. Holger knew they were going to kill him, so he decided to take the same poison he gave to the other kings. The three kings were buried in the church, and again, that's probably why it has that name, or at least nickname. I would imagine. A team of paranormal investigators came to the church and said that they caught evidence of several spirits. So not only do people usually Hmm. feel kind of eerie there, but they got some evidence to go with it. Very cool. India has many interesting legends and stories about ghosts. There also seem to be many haunted locations. Are these places in India haunted? That That is for you to decide. decide. Well, Kelly, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I will never be going to India, but it was very cool to research and find these places. Yes, if we only had our own jet, you know, and all the money in the world, we could visit all these wonderful locations. But no, definitely it's not someplace yeah. we'll ever be able to get to. The only place we're going to see the Taj Mahal is over at Epcot on Soaring. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a beautiful structure there. Definitely. I just found it fascinating all the different spiritual beliefs they had there. There was quite an extent. And you know what? I just love all of these different episodes that History Goes Pump has done, whether it's the legends of the Philippines, the legends of Malaysia, It just, it's so much fun to go to these different countries and just look at all of the different things that they have going on there. And there's such a variety. Absolutely. I want to encourage you guys to check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. And I did get an email from Sherea, and I hope I said that right. She says, hello, Diane and Kelly. I just started listening to your podcast. I love it. I gasped in episode 309 when you mentioned the human fly. I was so excited to hear you cover this. I live right down the road from the courthouse in Murfreesboro. 
There are many haunted locations here. The courthouse is said to be haunted in part due to the tragic incident. The Barrow Center for the Arts down the road is another historic building that many say is haunted. The Center for the Arts is housed in an Italianate structure built in 1909 by the U.S. Department of Treasury on the site of an old livery station. The building originally served as a post office and in 1962 became the Linebau Library. After the library relocated, the building was renovated and became the Center for the Arts. Most of the current theater folk I talked to who have performed or worked at the center report feeling a presence behind them whilst in the center alone at night after a show. We also have the Stones River Battlefield up the road and the Oakland Mansion. This was a home built in 1805, and both of these are haunted locations as well. Murfreesboro is kind of a hotbed of ghost activity, and I hope you put it on your list if you're coming through Tennessee, which we will be in April. Absolutely. My uncle actually happens to live there, too. So we were going to go all the way through to Nashville and stay overnight there, but I'm wondering if we're maybe stop short and do Murfreesboro, stay there for the night, and then head on up to Nashville. We'll have to look into that. I also have had my own ghostly encounters in my own apartment, and I blame my roommate who enjoys collecting weird and creepy things. Oh, great. (laughs) My roommate brought in some metal fixtures from an abandoned asylum in Alabama. Not smart, I know. As soon as one was hung on the wall downstairs, we had a remote control fly off the table, a door move unexpectedly, and heard a loud, unexplainable bang in the nearby kitchen. We quickly did a cleanse of the house, and my roommates haven't experienced the spirit anymore, but I still do especially when home alone. Isn't that interesting that the roommate that is interesting. Issues? My cats will often be sitting with me on the couch and I'll hear a tap or thud in the kitchen that sounds like a loud footfall or a cabinet being shut too hard. The cats will also hear it and get a bit anxious. I know it's not the neighbors either. It's not a muffled noise like it would be coming through the walls. I've tried to do some investigations on my own and I believe that there's at least one spirit and he's possibly a male spirit named Walter. I hope you're careful as you're investigating it, yeah. where you live. You always yeah. want to be very careful about that. I've used a couple apps and heard that name a couple times distinctly, but I have just always had the feeling I was dealing with a masculine presence. I'm fairly skeptical, but have had more experiences that I cannot explain even before Walter. And to quote Fox Mulder, I want to believe. I feel like I've mostly made peace with Walter, and I think it's mostly residual energy that means no harm. He still startles me pretty often, though. I also just wanted to thank you for creating a history-rich, LGBT-plus-friendly, respectful-of-the-dead, and educational podcast. I'm enjoying it so much, and I hope to be able to help support you soon. I really thank her for those thoughts. Absolutely. Along those lines, History Goes Bump has had something really, really cool happen. Oh my gosh, so amazing. So for those of you who are not in the Spooktacular crew or my friend on Facebook, you haven't already heard this. But I went into my emails this week, and so I have this email, and the subject line is, Congratulations on your nomination for a GANYC Apple Award. So I didn't open it up right away, because a lot of the time when you have these little podcast award type things, it's something that you have to pay to be listed on. And then it becomes a popularity contest where you try to get your listeners to go and vote for you and stuff like that. Right. You're essentially self-nominated and then you try to get everybody to vote. Yeah. <laughs> and the Webby Awards is like that. And then you have to pay to go to the ceremony and right. pay for your ticket and all this stuff. It's just, I don't know, it's something to make you feel good about yourself, I guess. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so I really wasn't interested. So I didn't even open it up. I got to my first job later on that morning and I was like, oh, let me open this up and see what it's about. And oh my gosh, (laughs) I about (laughs) lost my mind. So it says, Dear Diane, here at the Guides Association of New York City, we are delighted to announce our sixth annual GANYC Apple Awards ceremony. But we are even more delighted to announce that you have been nominated for an award. That's right. The awards committee voted for its top four choices in each category. And my episode 
It's a Haunted Gay Life, was chosen as a nominee for Outstanding Achievement in New York City Radio Podcast Audio Spoken Word. I can't say as I'm surprised because you are an amazing podcaster, but I am so excited for you. I just, I, it just makes me feel like the fact that I put so much time and effort into research, it legitimizes it. I mean, the listeners obviously do that too. Right. But this is like something that's outside of people who love the show. Clearly. And, you know, it's, it's done completely independently where you had no involvement at all. Mm -hmm. Our listeners didn't have involvement. Mm -mm. It just happened that they found your podcast and, and really wanted to acknowledge it. So the ceremony is on Monday, March 2nd, and Kelly and I are going to be going. We're on the road, folks. <laughs> we were not expecting to have to do the New York thing, but we are going to be heading that way. The ceremony, for those of you who are into history, you probably listened to the Bowery Boys. It's one of the first podcasts I ever started listening to. They are the hosts. There will be cocktails at 630. <laughs> we're going to have to find something nice to wear. I know. We need to go shopping. <laughs> Eight o'clock is the ceremony. What's really cool is this is not just like this is a podcast awards and we're in the history section of it. We're it. I mean, that is the podcast section is the four of us that were nominated in there. Otherwise, they have outstanding achievement in support of New York City culture, uh, New York City tourism, New York City preservation, outstanding New York City website. Yeah, it's uh, a huge honor. New York City photography. So, I mean, that's it for us. And one of the other, I'm not familiar with the other two podcasts that have been nominated, but the one that I'm very familiar with is Stuff You Missed in History Class. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, here's little old history goes bump right next to Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's such a huge honor. And one of the cool things is I hope the girls are going to be there because I would love to meet them because they inspire the show. And Absolutely. it's the reason why we do the whole back and forth reading and that kind of thing. I got that idea from their show. That being said, we have a meetup in New York City. For So for any of you guys who are near New York City, we are going to be doing a ghost tour through Greenwich Village on Saturday, February 29th at 8 p.m. And the ghost tour that we're doing is NewYorkGhosts.com. It's NYGhosts.com. And it's the February 29th at 8 p.m., and they also have a $5 add-on to it to extend your tour. And we also did that. I can't wait. <laughs> I'm so excited. I know. So I hope some of you can join us for that. And of course, when you meet up with us, you get your little pin and that kind of thing. Yeah, we love meeting you guys in person. And I'd love to have any good vibes sent our way so that we're not just award nominated. We're award winning. So That would be so amazing. <laughs> we'll see what oh happens. Oh, my goodness. Well, we want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to thank Faith Quinlan for your one-time donation. And we want to welcome into the cemetery Amanda Lay. We're going to be putting you under a chest tomb. And Matthew May will be putting you in a garden tomb. And isn't it interesting that their names rhyme? <laughs> Thanks, guys. You can find History Goes Bump on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Google Play, and anywhere you can listen to podcasts.
time of the Vedic Sanskrit. This was a time of the Vedic Sanskrit. This was a time of the Vedic Sanskrit. <laughs> Deep breath. <laughs> this was a time of the Vedic Sanskrit text. Samyam. Sam yum yum. Yummy, yummy, yummy. <laughs> Can I have some I'm yummy? Have some young people seem to use some young people seem to use possession as an excuse. The places were made from brick. <laughs> my brain saw it. It just didn't come out of my mouth. I'm like, she totally missed those four letters right before places. The places were made of brick. The fireplaces were made from brick. As we pointed out, forests are places that Indians are a bit superstitious. As we pointed out, forests are places that Indians are a bit superstitious about, and the Sanjivan is a forest. <laughs>